Take your Bibles today and turn with me to the book of Joshua. We come now to the seventh chapter. One more installment on after today about this is how we conquer. That will be also connected with communion the Sunday after Thanksgiving. Next week again we have Dave Reaver and we can't wait for these coming Sundays. The message we come to today is so important. Please listen with an open heart, and I want to tell you up front that as you hear me go into this message, I'm careful to tell you I'm speaking to me as well as you. I'm not on your back, I'm on your side. I want to talk about sin today, and when you talk about sin and you deal with it biblically, you got to be careful not to come across like you've never experienced it and you don't fight with it yourself. I do do not want that to be conveyed in any way. I need The message that I preach today, I need it as much as anyone in the room. And I pray that the Holy Spirit will work in a way that that has us in a new place. Because we need that. Look with me, please. Joshua chapter 7, starting at verse 1. It says, But Israel violated the instructions about the things set apart for the Lord. A man named Achan had stolen some of these dedicated things, so the Lord was very angry with the Israelites. Achan was the son of Carmi, a descendant of Zimri, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah. Joshua sent some of his men from Jericho to spy out the town of Ai, east of Bethel, near Beth Haven. When they returned, they told Joshua, There's no need for all of us to go up there. It won't take more than two or three thousand men to attack Ai. Since there are so few of them, don't make all our people struggle to go up there. So approximately three thousand warriors were sent. But they were soundly defeated. The men of Ai chased the Israelites from the town gate as far as the quarries, and they killed about 36 who were retreating down the slope. The Israelites were paralyzed with fear at this turn of events, and their courage melted away. They're defeated by one battle that they thought they could win and win with just a small portion of their warriors. Why did they get defeated? I'm going to skip down to verse 13. It says, Get up, command the people to purify themselves in preparation for tomorrow. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Hidden among you, O Israel, are things set apart for the Lord. You will never defeat your enemies until you remove these things from among you. Joshua 7 shows us the impact of hidden sin. It shows us the seriousness of sin. We need, and I want to put this on the screen, we need a radically God-centered perspective of sin. Do you agree? Pray with me. Lord, let that be. You've got to build that within us. You've got to restore it within us, renew it, awaken it. It can't come from just a man. Lord, I yield my life as a vessel, and may you use me today to stir up something within us about the seriousness of sin. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're a light sleeper, raise your hand. If you're a heavy sleeper, raise your hand. How many of you remember the days of your parents having newborns and the least little sound you would wake up? How many of you were married to someone who never woke up? I was back at the nursery check-in earlier today, and knowing I was going to talk about this as 
These young families would come in. The baby was in the carrier. I would say things like, uh, how's it going? And when he or she cries in the night, you know, who gets up? And that was, those were fun conversations. <laughs> I looked at one guy and I said, how are you sleeping? I was speaking like to the family, like how's the baby sleeping? He said, I'm sleeping great. I mean, he actually thought I was asking him how he was sleeping. He said, I'm, I'm sleeping great. One couple asked, I said, when your baby kind of makes a sound in the night, who gets up? And I turned and I looked at the guy and I said, do you get up? And he goes, well, no. Yeah, right then he saw his wife looking and he thought, I've got to tell the truth here. How many of you have ever slept through, like, a significant event, like a storm? Just slept right through it. I think that this idea of people who are very sensitive and awaken quickly and those who sleep so deeply that nothing awakens them is a great way to think about this issue of sin. Where are we in our sensitivity to sin? Are we immediately checked by the hint of sin? Perhaps are we in a deep sleep as it relates to rampant sin? Where are we as an American church? Where are we in this church? Where are you? Where am I as it relates to a sensitivity of sin? Have you, be, have you been desensitized? There is a book that is called, Not the Way It's Supposed to Be. And the writer makes this statement. The awareness of sin, a deep awareness of disobedience, and painful confession of sin used to be our shadow. Christians hated sin. They feared it. They fled from it. They grieved over it. Some of our forefathers agonized over their sins. That shadow has dimmed. Nowadays, the accusation, you have sinned, is often said with a grin and with a tone that signals an inside joke. At one time, this accusation still had the power to jolt people. I am praying that God would jolt us again and awaken us to the seriousness of sin. Let's make it a prayer that God would radically deal with us. Jolt is is the word that stood out to me of the many powerful things in that statement that God would jolt us again about the importance and seriousness of sin to where we hate it. We see it for what it is. Here's the context of Joshua. Chapter 1, God deals with him and gives him this incredible reminder that he's with him and If he'll just be strong and courageous, he'll be successful. If he'll stay in step with the word and God's plan, he's going to take the land that's already promised. It's been 40 years and now they they set out finally and they get to the Jordan River and God does a miracle. From the Jordan they move and now they're confronted with the wall of Jericho and God does a miracle. It's one success after another. So when the reconnaissance group gets a check on AI, their response to Joshua is... Only send a few thousand. We don't need everybody. We can win this handily. 
Just send two or 3,000 warriors and we will accomplish. No need to have everyone struggle to go up there. Joshua responds by sending 3,000 and Ai routes Israel. So defeats them that sends Israel on the run and 36 men are killed. Everyone is astounded. How could Ai do this? How did this happen? And we discover it was because of hidden sin that Israel was defeated. It is interesting not only to look at the context of it, where Achan had taken things that were devoted to to false gods. Instead of destroying them, he took them to himself. He took a robe and he took silver and he took gold and he hid it. It's interesting to look at the pattern. Look with me at Joshua chapter 7, verse 21. Here's what Achan says. Among the plunder, I saw a beautiful robe from Babylon, 200 silver coins and a bar of gold weighing more than a pound. I wanted them so much that I took them. They are hidden in the ground beneath my tent with the silver buried deeper than the rest. Notice a few words. You may want to highlight them. I saw, the word saw, he says, I saw. I wanted, I took. And there is the pattern of temptation and sin. Eve saw the forbidden fruit. She wanted it and she took it. David saw Bathsheba. He wanted her and he took her. Achan saw this Babylonian robe, the silver and the gold. He wanted it and he took it. The pattern of of sin is the same today. And then the consequences, Joshua 7, verse 11. Israel has sinned and broken my covenant. They have stolen some of the things I commanded that must be set apart for me. They have not only stolen them, but have lied. They've lied about it and hidden the things among their own belongings. Notice the strong verbs to describe their actions. Broken, stolen, lied, and hidden. It says, you have broken covenant. That word broken in Old Testament was always used to speak of spiritual adultery. It is a strong word. You have not only committed spiritual adultery, but you have stolen and you have lied and you have hidden. In the original language, the conjunction also is used. And this is the way you would read it in the original. My people have broken covenant. They have also stolen They have also lied. They have also hidden. I want you to hear that so that we get God's perspective of the seriousness of sin. We need a God-centered perspective. If we go to our own perspective and maybe what influences our perspective, it may not be a God-centered perspective. God is very clear in trying to show the impact of even one Sin, this one sin that Achan committed by taking the devoted things, it not only affected him, it affected his family. It not only affected his family, it affected Israel. It not only affected Israel with such fear because they're they're saying now if the word gets out that AI defeated us, it will embolden all of our other enemies. So... Fear is running rampant throughout Israel, not to mention 
that because of Achan's sin, 36 men died. Broken, stolen, lied, hidden, emboldened enemies, 36 men dead. The seriousness of one sin. None of us sin by ourselves. No matter how private your sin may be, if you are convinced that no one knows about your sin but you, I tell you by the authority of God's word that it's having an effect not only on your life, it's having an effect on those who love you and those you love. It may take a while for you to see it, but perhaps you'll live to see that truly the Bible's true. It has an effect. No one sins by themselves. Achan's sin had threatened the blessing of God. Achan's sin had threatened the presence of God among them. If they don't correct this, then all their future and the promise of the future was hanging in the balance. The seven-year conquest of the promised land, because that's what it took to do all that God had led them to do, to possess the land. It took seven years, and of the seven years, the only battle they lost was this one. And it had nothing to do with their military prowess. It had nothing to do with their battle strategy. It was all about character. It was about hidden sin. Thus showing us a very clear biblical picture of just how serious sin is. Even one sin. My prayer is this. May God jolt us. Jolt us. Awaken us. Lord, forgive me. I'm sleeping through the impact of sin. When we talk about sin, it's, it's easy to talk about the culture. We see everything that's dismantling in the culture. And we'd like to go into the cultural tent and clean house. But the biblical picture here is the one we need to see. That before we try to clean up culture, we need to go in our own tent. And we need to clean house in our own heart. We need to start there. Are we nurturing a private sin? You see, it's never been easier to nurture hidden sin. There's such access to sin. You know exactly what I'm talking about. There's never been a day like this day where you could cre- create a relationship with something or someone in, and think it's hidden or it's private for a while. Jolt us, Holy Spirit. Awaken us. This is not only about the culture. This is about our heart. The word jolt means hard blow. It means to disturb. It means to strike heavily. May the Holy Spirit strike heavily. May the Holy Spirit bring some disturbance to our heart. A hard blow. And it's never to lead us to condemnation. It is to lead us to available mercy. And that is such an important thing for you to hear. 
It is not to expose hidden sin so that we're found guilty and there's no hope. It is to expose hidden sin so that it can lead us to the available mercy of God and freedom can be the result. Blessing in God's presence can flow in an unhindered fashion. May God help us not to pretend. May we not pretend. Jesus died and he took the penalty of every sin. Therefore, as we confess our sin, he's faithful and he's just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Messages on sin are few and far between. If you've been in the church, and let me ask this question. How many of you have been, you know what I mean when I say, have you been raised in church? You grew up attending church, some kind of church. Would you raise your hand? Keep them up for a moment. That, that's a majority of this crowd. You can put your hands down. Do you remember a day where there was a greater sensitivity of sin to sin? Let me say it like this. As you study church history, even your own church history, maybe you remember a day when there was such a, a sensitivity to sin and it pervaded the people of God and there was this desire to take it seriously and to, to walk in holiness before God. And then we saw the pendulum swing to where it seemed there was no sensitivity to sin and maybe everything was okay. When the pendulum was way over and there was such a sensitivity, some got off into legalism. And when we tried to strike a balance, we got all the way over until we have cheapened grace. Sin is serious. A parent looking at me with tears in her eyes saying, you've got to pray. She went to describe the things that her son's getting entangled in. A young teenager. Satan is making a play. He's making a play for the heart. He's making a play for the home. And we must be awakened to the seriousness of sin. I told you it was just a few weeks ago we went home and there was this huge snake right at our back door. A few months before that, a huge snake at our front door. If I find who's putting snakes at my door. We removed the snake. We eradicated the snake. The snake was poisonous. We couldn't allow the snake. We couldn't, we couldn't form some kind of uh, peace treaty with the snake. Snake, you can be around for a while. No, the snake had to go. It was serious. If I said, hey, come and take a drink of water, and on your way you saw that I put a drop of cyanide in the water, then you would quickly see the danger and say, there's no way I'm drinking that. Because you are sensitive to that danger, to the impact of the poison. Satan in his subtlety has shown us such the good side of evil. He has shown us the bait and hidden the hook. It's like drop by drop of paralyzing poison and we are falling to sleep. 
And we don't realize that sin is literally crouching at the door. And the devil is playing for keeps. And no one is ever bound enough. No one is ever addicted enough. No one is ever broken to the point that he, he will stop. We must be awakened to the seriousness of sin. How do we approach this? How do we deal with it? I think the word here is repentance. It's a great word. It's a great word. If you've never entered a relationship with Jesus, you repent of your sin. You acknowledge your need of God. And the Lord's grace forgives you and brings you in a relationship with Him. If you're a Christian, we take our lead from that church of Revelation that lost their heart for God and their sensitivity to sin. And the word of the Lord to them was repent. So much to the word repentance. Just a couple things. One is that it has this intellectual piece to it. Where you just see sin for what it is. That you could just right now take an assessment of your life. Look down the road. of Of where that sin can take you. Look what it has done to others. Look what it's doing to you. You just assess. You just get real with it. It's it's an intellectual piece. It's like the water with cyanide in it is dangerous. And there's no way I'm going to drink it. That's just a smart, reasonable awareness of sin. You see evil and its consequences. One show after another on television that tries to find past celebrities and they ask the question where are they now and more often than not we find them in rehab all the money all the fame and a life that is out of control falling apart no happiness no well-being what's it take for us to see the seriousness of sin The writer of Proverbs says, there's a way it seems right. But if you play it out, the end is destruction. You see where it can lead you. And this intellectual side, you you just reason with it and you see it for what it is. There's the emotional side where you start desiring change. So I don't want to be this way anymore. I want to make a U-turn. I want things to be different sense that it is serious. Jesus, I want you to be the center of my life, not this sin. I want to go inside the tent of my own soul and unearth the sin that I'm nurturing. If the richest man in the world called you this afternoon and said, look, I'm extraordinarily wealthy and I would like to give you some money, how much would you like? You would not say $5. Because you know that doesn't ensure the afternoon. It doesn't ensure the next week. It gives you no hope for the future. You would say $5 billion. Because then you're thinking, this will get me through. Maybe not under this economy. But in any other economy, it probably would do it. See, so you, would, you would ask for an amount. That you know would take, it would go the distance. 
when you get emotional about where you are, you get frustrated, maybe even a, a godly indignation. I am sick of this. I'm tired of life the way it is. You reason and you see the consequences, the evil of sin. You begin to have that emotional desire. I hate the way I'm living. I want change. God is the one who leads you to available mercy, and it's not $5. It deals with the past. It deals with the present. And it deals with the future. It's the comprehensive, amazing grace of God. It's that unspeakable grace. It's that grace to the uttermost. It's grace that knows no bounds. It's grace beyond words. It's grace that can purge and cleanse, renew, restore. It's the amazing grace of God. That's what you run into. Grace that's complete. Years and years ago, there was a very famous man who was in a very wrong relationship and the relationship with the lady that he had, this lady goes to a Billy Graham crusade and she accepted Jesus Christ as her savior. Going home that night from the service where she had been marvelously saved, she says to him, we can't live this way anymore, I can't live this way. And she separated from him because they were living in total sin. It infuriated that man. It's like it took him over, and he wanted revenge. It was just three months later that Billy Graham was going to do a press conference in the major city where a crusade would be starting. And this very famous man called the local newspaper and said, you need to get your best reporter and your best cameraman because I'm going to give you a front-page story at the Billy Graham press conference tomorrow. His plan, and he talks openly and honestly about this, he said, I was going to walk up, and punch Billy Graham right in the face. He's standing there in the crowd of reporters at the press conference. He looks to the cameraman. He said, are you ready? And he walks up. He didn't tell anybody what he was going to do. He walks right up on the stage. He rears back his fist, and he throws that punch, and Billy Graham sees him coming out of the corner of his eye, and he turns, and right when the man is throwing the punch, Billy Graham had turned to him and raised his hand in reflex, and the man's fist hit right in Billy Graham's hand. And Billy Graham grabbed his hand, and Billy Graham turned it into a handshake, and the handshake made the front page of the newspaper. This is amazing. And feeling the anger, and Billy Graham knew who he was. Billy Graham holding his hand says, Would you be willing to sit down and talk with me? And the man agreed, and that afternoon after that press conference, they sat down. Billy Graham walked him through the impact of sin and the impact of grace, the story of Jesus and the story of his own life. At the end of that conversation, that man who came for revenge ended up being redeemed. He too accepted Jesus Christ as his Savior. And one year later, he was the featured testimony at a Billy Graham crusade and he told his story. And in telling that story, he said, I was converted. He said, I was this and I became that. I was a sinner and I became a Christian. And it was the power of grace that brought that conversion. 
the available mercy of God has the kind of power to convert. Takes you from who you are to who you know you need to be. We have a team that is serving in Thailand today, right from this church. And when they left this country, they took American currency and they got it converted into the currency so they could use it where they are. It went from this to that. The Apostle Paul, writer of two-thirds of the New Testament, was an evil man before salvation. And on a road leading him into the town of Damascus, the power of God dealt with him and he was converted and became a devoted follower of Jesus and one of the greatest Christians of all time. So if you've never accepted Jesus, there is power for conversion. When you come to the mercy of God and and you just get honest with who you are and you say, Jesus, I, I recognize that my life is falling apart. I'm melting down. Everything is, is, I'm losing it. And you just fall on the mercy of God. Conversion happens. And you go from sinner to Christian. You go from spiritual death to spiritual life. But for the Christians in this room, that have started tampering with and then nurturing and developing a relationship with sin to where there is hidden sin in your life. You need that same transformative power. You need conviction to settle in on your heart. And you need to get honest with God and confess your sin and let the Holy Spirit just deal with that. There are people sitting in this room and your life is engulfed with sin and as a result... It controls. You are addicted. You come every Sunday. You sit under these sermons every Sunday. And you are addicted. And your life is falling apart. And you hide behind that Sunday countenance with a heart that is miserable and a life that is dysfunctioning. And perhaps this would be the day that you would see the seriousness of sin and you would feel the love of God and you would confess your sin before God and allow the grace of God that's like an ocean to just overwhelm. And let me say it in, these, in this metaphor. If like sin has engulfed you and it's like it set your whole mind and body aflame with the sin of the flesh, we're going to fight fire with fire. There are some fires and firemen will fight it with fire. We need a flame that is greater than the flame of sin. The fire of the Lord's presence, the fire of the Holy Spirit can confront and overwhelm the fire of sin until you are engulfed. You are overwhelmed with the sense of God's grace, God's presence, God's word, and you're walking in the Spirit until that flame burns the very dross of sin from your character. Where will you be in a week? Where will you be in a month? Where will you be in one year if you stay on this road you're on today? Where will it lead? May the Holy Spirit jolt us today. Awaken us to the seriousness of sin. I too was raised in church and they taught that as a Christian you could backslide. Meaning you, you could 
lose that sensitivity to sin and that sensitivity to God and that desire for His Word and the desire for prayer and the desire to serve and you just go flat spiritually and, and you drift. And you're like the prodigal. You, you realize how far you've gone. And there were many times I was at an altar at my home church saying, Jesus, don't come back until I get this prayer prayed. Because I needed to get some things right. And some people said, you know, you, got, you were raised with this concept that God would write your name in the Lamb's book. And if you had a wayward thought, he would erase your name out. I wasn't raised that way. I was raised with that healthy understanding of the seriousness of sin. And not sitting in church week after week after week. Nodding. Singing. Going through when I know my life does not measure up to the standard of which I have been saved. And that there are consequences to sin. And and in this culture, we've gone soft. We have soft sin now. We have soft porn now. Hear those words. It's like a friendly snake at my door. It is serious. It is reaching its tentacles into so many hearts. It has no respecter of age. If we really got honest in this room, what could God do? May we be jolted so that we are led to the available mercy of God.